EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EMS Garage. I'm your host, amazingly enough, Chris Montera. I don't know why they keep asking me back. Oh, wait, because it's my podcast. That's why, and I love it. Uh, anyway, uh, this week we had a lot of things planned, and for some reason we decided to go a different direction. So I'm Geeky Medic on all the websites. You can find me there. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, just look for us on the social media interweb uh, so, joining me first tonight is Mr. Skip Kirkwood, who's been gone for a while. Hello, sir. But do you, you know, and or should I say President Kirkwood? How, I don't even know. You have so many titles. I don't know what to call you sometimes. I start with Skip. Skip. And it's good to be back. It is good to have you back. How How is the weather down there in sunny old North Carolina? It, uh, let's see, the high today was, I believe, 68 degrees. Uh, it was mostly overcast yesterday was sunny and about 65 and it's very weird to have it be that warm at Christmas time. Okay. I just won't rub it in on how cold it was here. So just go with that. Yeah. Six inches of snow last night and I don't know, 20 something. So yeah, but that means that's prosperity in Vail, Colorado. Yeah. That's, that's just cash falling from the sky is what we call that. Well, there you go. Right, and well, thank you for coming back, sir, and uh, always a pleasure to have you. Also joining us tonight is Miss Sam Bradley. Hello. Hello, Chris. Hello, Skip, and happy holidays to you all. Thank you very much. And you bring us the topic tonight, so I'll be coming back to you to help introduce us and head us down the rabbit trail known as the EMS Garage. Also joining us tonight is the never photographed and never known Mr. Tim Noonan. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Eh. Eh. All right. Well, I'll take that. That's a, that's a good enough answer. <laughs> Thanks for coming on tonight as well. Uh, Thanks for having me. The brand new, the brand newly, or brand new, brand new, or newly diagnosed, undiagnosed cancer survivor, Mr. Russell Stein. Hello, sir. That's right. I win. <laughs> you win, and that is awesome. Yeah, the last time I was on Garage, I was on a pain pump, so hopefully this time will be a little bit more coherent. I was going to say, you're, you're, we'll be able to track you, but you know, so most people can't track what I say, so I'm a little all over the board, so I, you're, I fine. you're probably, fine, you're fine, you're fine. I probably need a pain pump to put up with Chris. That's really. right. Maybe you <laughs> I, actually, I probably actually made sense on Delauded, so. <laughs> right on. I have found, I've found that I always thought myself very sensible on Delauded. Uh, 
Who wouldn't? <laughs> Everyone else, though, that's another story. Yeah, others' opinions may differ, but, you know, <laughs> who cares? Now drugs are optional for him. And finally, my occasional guest host and star of all things Massachusetts, Mr. Scott Keir. Hello. Good evening, Mr. Montera. There's nothing better was, than a Northeast Christmas, is there? You know, there is, and it's it's the Christmas that Skip gets to experience. Ah, uh, true. Good point. <laughs> yeah, 68 degrees. Oh, man. I'm dying. Yeah, but, but then again, you know, it, it wouldn't be EMS Garage if we didn't talk about all things EMS and the weather. And the weather. Yeah. Yes. Only I only did that for you. <laughs> you are the man. Anything I can do to help. Uh, well, thank you guys for joining me tonight, and thank you all for listening, as always. Miss Sam Bradley, so this week you brought up a topic that was kind of floated around on Facebook and got a little heated, and then I, literally I went to bed last night thinking, okay, tonight, tomorrow on EMS Garage we're going to talk about a Washington, D.C. bill and drug testing for paramedics, which we'll get to at some point in the near future. Um, but then I wake up this morning and see this thing that exploded on my email, and I had 60, 60 emails about this one topic. So, Sam, set us up for what it was about, and then let's talk about it. Oh, my God, yes. It got quite controversial, didn't it? And what was interesting was the variety of opinions on it. It did start at Facebook. Um and I'll only reference this uh, in general. There was a recent ambulance accident in Oklahoma. Uh, and there's some folks that I know there. And there was some discussion on Facebook. And I thought, wow, this would be an interesting topic. So I threw it up on our email group. And like you said, it grew into 60 emails with a huge variety of opinions from this group that come from private, come from public, were chiefs, were boots on the ground people. And, and it deals, even within the subject itself, it deals with, Ambulance accidents. It deals with training of personnel to drive ambulances. It deals with liability issues if there is an accident. The aftermath. Uh, just a whole bucket of worms around the subject. Around Code 3 itself. Should we or shouldn't we? Uh, tiered dispatching systems. Just a whole lot of things. So I don't know really where to start with that subject, but uh, I know that Tim had jumped in on the Facebook conversation and then we brought him in uh, to the email conversation. Uh, so I think everybody here has a pretty solid opinion on the whole thing. So I'm not quite sure where to start. Um, well, I, I can, know, Skip. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start it off. I'll tell you that we've talked about this subject before, and it's always a good topic because I think that the most dangerous thing we do is drive the ambulance. I mean, it's the most dangerous Pretty thing, pretty much we all do. It's more dangerous than flying. It's more dangerous than a lot of activities we engage in every day. Now, let's add lights, adrenaline, and sirens and other people to that mix, and you just make it deadly. And so I think that, um, my, I guess my initial reaction to this was, well, duh, you don't, you don't charge traffic. You don't do these things at a high rate of speed. It has to be very thoughtful and very thought provoking or very, very, um, uh, I can't think of the word. It has to be very thoughtful when you do it. You actually have to make that decision that what you're doing is very dangerous and you could end up killing somebody. So I know Skip's dying to jump in and say something here, but I'm just saying that um, this is the w number one topic on our show all the time. We all talk about it, but um, you can't be safe if you're doing unsafe things. So I'll start there. Skip, did you want to say something on that? 
No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why Chris thought I was dying to jump in. Oh, it sounded uh, like you were. Ju- okay, sorry. Anyway, so no, um, <laughs> no, no, I was. I was actually um, having a drink of ginger ale. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, let me let me start with, with sort of a personal frustration that people seem to mash everything related to this together into one big amorphous lump, and then they come to a conclusion based on that lump. And one of the things, you know, since I, I once upon a time went to law school and, and learned to think like a lawyer, one of the things that lawyers do is try and separate and clarify issues. And this is actually a multifactorial issue, but I want to start off with some philosophy. There's a guy who works with me. His name's Dale Johnson. He uh, has a blog called Nine Echo One. And which is, for those speaking of priority dispatch, that's the medical priority dispatch code for cardiac arrest. And Dale is a, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 year veteran medic, uh, and is sort of a street philosopher. And safety is a very big thing for Dale. He's managed to live and not get bad hurt doing EMS and all this time. And he will always, at the appropriate time, make the profound observation that everything we do in EMS should start with our protocol book. He then challenges everyone to please find in the protocol book the place where it says and describes in what circumstances you're supposed to drive really fast. And you can paw through the book all day, and you know what? No place in your protocol book or mine or our administrative policies or SOGs or any of those places, does it say drive really fast? (laughs) And the problem is not lights and sirens. The problem is not lack of training. The problem is not, um, you know, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. The problem is people drive too fast for no reason whatsoever than lack of self-discipline. Okay. And, 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 okay. For, and, 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 and for me, it, st- it starts and ends there. Uh, okay, maybe. But if you have somebody yelling at you um, constantly about your contractual response time, about blah, 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 is there not then kind of this indwelt, and, I, and I'm only playing devil's advocate, I don't necessarily believe these arguments, but isn't there not some indwell argument that says, gee, if I don't drive faster, if I don't do this, my supervisor is going to be on me because I didn't, um, I didn't make the eight minute 59. I didn't make the magical response time. I didn't do this. I did, you know, I'm late for dinner. I need to, you know, all the bad decisions that go into doing this. I'm not trying to defend it by any means, but I think that we have created a culture where it's okay. Well, um, well, that's true. And of course, nationally, we are now trying to create a culture of safety. Um, but, you know, just to take the opposite extreme, when, when I started looking at this issue, does everybody know about Domino's pizza in the 1980s? Of course. 30, 30 minutes, minutes or less. 30 minutes, give you your money 30 back. minutes or it's free, right? And you know who paid for the pizza? The, the driver. So what do you do? He drove really oh. fast. He killed people. They got sued for millions of dollars, right? They don't do that program anymore. So I actually have a Domino's pizza box in my opening slideshow for every group that comes through our academy orientation program. And I talk to them about performance metrics. 
and who's responsible for what. So, yeah, your readers and listeners are all pretty experienced uh, field EMS folks. So if their leadership sends them the wrong message, then shame on the leadership. They need to fix that. But in, in my system, what I tell my people is, The only metric that you are personally responsible for is out-of-shoot time to get from your chair, wherever you may be, to your ambulance and get on the road. You're responsible for that time, and you're responsible for not getting lost. Two important metrics, I think, that are important. If the system doesn't make its performance standard 859, 90% of the time, 12 minutes night, whatever it is, that's not the guy in the truck's problem. That's my job. Because meeting a response performance goal, whatever it may be, is a function of how many trucks you have on the road and where they're placed. And guys in, the, guys in trucks don't make those decisions. So a system who beats up on individual paramedics, and I know this happens, beats up on individual medics because they didn't get there in eight minutes and 59 seconds has um, a problem of either ignorant or incompetent or unethical leadership. Okay. So I, and I agree with you on all of those topics. I just wanted to raise the point of discussion. Now, Tim, you took a little bit of a beating this week though on the Facebook postings because you basically said that you, I mean, you weren't, you weren't necessarily going lashing out at the person that did this, but you were saying this is a problem industry wide. And people then went, Oh, if you don't know the, if you don't know all the uh, particulars about this one case, don't be coming after him. And I never saw you once go after that one person, but you were, you were very focused on, oh, on the piece of going after the industry. Sarcasm. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. You were sarcastic. Yeah. It wasn't okay. the first time. Um, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely <laughs> shocked and appalled to hear that. <laughs> and, uh, I hope everybody has nitro available. Yeah. Um, my first statement was uh, assuming that all of the information that has been reported is correct. And, you know, that is a big assumption. Um, 85 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Allegedly, eighty-five. Uh, probably, yes. As I said, assuming that it's correct, you know, that's probably even beyond excessive. Um, I don't think you're going to find anybody justifying that. I don't know what the speed limit would be for, if he were traveling in the right direction, because um, he's probably going forty or fifty miles an hour in the wrong direction, and then adding eighty-five to that assuming that the speed reported is correct. But in Pennsylvania, the amount I am allowed to exceed the speed limit is zero miles an hour when I put the lights and sirens on. Do people exceed the speed limit? Yeah. Uh, Some places will license their uh, ambulances or uh, fly cars as fire apparatus because fire department can drive faster than the speed limit. But we're only EMS, so we're not allowed to do that. Um, th- well, they I are think- also trying to scale back on the types of calls that it is appropriate to respond with lights and sirens. 
Um, and this is going into the state protocols. Each revision of the protocols, it's scaling back more and more, and, and they're working on uh, the helicopter flights as well. So there's a lot of progress being made. We're trying to be evidence-based, and I think other states will be able to look at what happens in Pennsylvania and see that a large state uh, with all sorts of populations, you've got Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, very urban, and you've got some of the most rural populations around, can do this, can eliminate the lights and sirens from most calls. And I think you, oh, but, but tell, tell me, I got to ask, why do you want to eliminate lights and sirens? To me, because that's of like the way people behave when they put them on. Oh, it's okay. So, probably so it's more not a the lights and sirens. It's, anything. it's not the lights and sirens. It's the morons who use them. <laughs> yes. I mean, this, hey, wait, wait, wait. Guns don't kill people. Don't people kill people. Uh, that's what I, I mean. Was this thinking. is well, this is this is gun control for EMS. So, so we have a, I don't know if it ranges from a small minority to a substantial majority of people who behave badly when they turn the red lights and sirens on. So I guess, you know, I haven't crashed an ambulance running hot in 40 years. And I, I think people who know me would say I'm not the most conservative driver on, on the road either, but legislating when you can't use them, you know, saying on this call type, you can't use them. Okay, so what happens if you're on a uh, limited access, four-lane road, divided that you can't cross the divider, and traffic is a stop? If And you're on the wrong call type. You can't turn your lights and siren on to get people to move to the side so that you can proceed at Oh, 20 miles an hour instead of three miles an hour. That's the lunacy. I allow for uh, judgment on stuff like that because one of the places where I worked, uh, going by the university during morning rush, lunchtime rush, or afternoon rush hour, uh, if you did not have lights and sirens, it was going to take you at least half an hour to travel a mile. And that's right. two lanes in so, either direction without a divided highway. But I got to tell you, you start trying to write that and all the other possible exceptions into a state protocol document. It's going to be the size of the Manhattan Telephone Directory. How about how, how how about this? How about we tell people don't be stupid, and when they demonstrate that they can't follow that instruction, we fire them. Well, there is Skip. a problem with that in that uh, the employers in a lot of places don't do anything about that. They actually encourage uh, that kind of behavior. Uh, one of the places I used to respond to as mutual aid um, in a medic fly car was one where they would canceled me as soon as they had a supervisor hop in a truck and go en route from anywhere in the vicinity. They could be 10, 20 minutes away, and they would say, recall the cover. Cardiac arrest, difficulty breathing, doesn't matter what it is. This is our territory. We handle our patients. They also put an awful lot of them in helicopters and 
um, you know, they think that's just the way you do things. For them, it's all about driving fast and being the people okay, so, in charge well, encourage it. So, well, so, what, when are, what, so when are we just going to run those people out of the profession and be done with it? I've even talked with the medical director, and he doesn't see a problem with it. What were you talking be, about? Low, be, te- low testosterone? Wouldn't be waiting until they've demonstrated that they've that they're unable to do that, that they, wouldn't that be a little bit too late? They seem to be viewed as one of the premier organizations because they tell everybody they are. Well, thinking you are and and saying you are is two different things, but. Yeah, but there are lots of places that do that. But we can't, but we can't, uh, we can't regulate stupidity. And I kind of, I, I, this is why I love having Skip on because he always like, he brings it right down to the core of, you can't, you can't go, okay, here's the, I, and I agree with that. However, I think the biggest thing in our way, in our industry, always, 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 always is the education. When you throw somebody in front of a driving, when you throw somebody in a, in front of a wheel of a thing that can kill somebody with lights and sirens on with 160 hours of training, we've got a problem. It's less than a cop. It's less than blah, blah, blah. It's, it's less than a fire engineer that's driving a really large piece of apparatus. I'm just saying, I think we have, that's a pervasive problem in our industry, hands down. And you need to create a culture where that's not okay, where being stupid is not okay, where being not safe is okay, where where not recognizing due regard is not okay. And and I like the pizza box thing, Skip. I think I'm going to use that. That's a great way. And, and I only teach BLS these days, but, you know, I what little time I have to deal with ambulance operations, I try to make it very clear that they have a huge responsibility, and it isn't you know just hand a kid a pair of keys. And I I've known companies that have done that and say go have a good day. You know you're giving them you give them a loaded gun for heaven's sakes. You know you have to train these people. Well, that's a, and that's, it that's goes a, back to even who you hire. You got to hire people with some maturity and integrity. Well, that I mean that, that's in effect what we're doing. And just just for fun, when this discussion. Uh, happened, you know, I, I sit here in the state capitol and right down the road among many other institutions that are, are, uh, close enough where you meet people in the, in the sub, sub shop for lunch. Uh, so I called over to a friend at the highway patrol and I said, okay, in North Carolina, we have a, we have a very open emergency vehicle statute. We don't have to deal with 10 miles or five. It says we can, uh, basically violate all the traffic laws we want while running hot as long as we do so with due regard for the safety of others. So I called up my friend and I said, so tell me about what you guys think about this, because you guys investigate crashes involving highway patrol troopers who drive too fast, sheriff's deputies, police cars, ambulances, you name it. Um, how, uh, How does this play out? And they said, well, you know, the first thing that we always have to look at is there is a line, and it's not clearly defined, where speeding crosses into reckless driving. And it's a judgment call on the part of an arresting officer. But um, he said, 80-plus miles an hour in the wrong lane of travel, going against traffic, any place, including a superhighway. But on a surface street, you got to be kidding. So, do people really 
understand. Sorry, go go ahead, Skip. Go oh, no, go ahead. I'm with you. No, I was just going to say this whole idea of due regard. Do people really understand what that means? It means if you were to have red lights and siren, even if you have the right of way and there's an accident, you're wrong. Pretty That's much. right. That's exactly. exactly what it means. You know, that's that the key. You can do anything you want and not be charged until you hurt somebody. Right. And you can argue all day long about you had the right of way, you had all of the, the requisite lights and sirens and so forth, but you'll always be wrong. And whether that's law and, enforcement or fire or, or ambulance, I've seen that again and again and again. And and, and who have you, who have you helped with this? Because uh, as as a another long ago person who tried to teach me something reminded me this patient you're in such a big hurry to get to violating laws and rules and common sense um you're not going to do them damn bit of good unless you get there unless you get there before without getting stopped yourself Very true. So i don't know I, I don't know about your communities but in this town i mean we are a very resource rich ems environment but if the ambulance wrecks on the way to a call, it's going to be 10, 12, 15 minutes before the next ambulance is dispatched and arrives on the scene. I'll bet it might arrive on the scene of the ambulance crash instead of the original patient, depending on how serious the original patient was. Exactly. So, so you're, not, you're not only not helping your patient, you've created another whole problem. It, it's it's ridiculous. It's just stupid. Well, but I think that oftentimes, though, and Scott, I'd love Scott and Russell. You guys have been oddly quiet, but uh, I think that we don't often understand what that thing that we're driving weighs. Sometimes we're in a vehicle that looks very familiar to the vehicle that we normally drive. So to stick ourselves into a a vehicle that it could be up to 15,000 GVW, and then to slam on the brakes, it's going to take you a little longer. And then you apply a little more speed, it's going to take you a lot longer to stop that thing in in motion. And I think that oftentimes, um, I know that I'm a heck of a lot um, more cautious now, even in my own personal vehicle, just with years of experience. And and I think there again goes back to this fact of... um, Boy, I hate saying hiring mature people, but hiring the 18-year-old that just came out of EMT school that has two years of driving under his belt may, you know, is not equivalent to hiring somebody in his 40s like me that has a bunch of years of experience and has gone through a bunch of driver training and all these other things. Those two things are vastly different, and I have a much better respect today uh, for the vehicle that I'm driving that I did when I was 18, 20, 21 even. Um, you know, Chris, Chris, you always, you always sugarcoat everything. And I know one of the things you like about me is I always get right down in the dirt. Across the EMS industry, I submit we are willfully negligent in hiring, training, orienting, and deploying Pretty much anybody who wants to do the job, just because they have a card and we can, and we want meat in the seat, we don't much care across the industry about quality, maturity, intelligence, common sense. If you can get through that 160-hour course, whatever it may be, this these days, with a grade of C minus or better, 
passed the state exam and you're willing to work for whatever meager amount uh, some agency will pay you, that's eh, pretty much what most of the industry's caring threshold is. And we're surprised. Well, and we're it, surprised that we get immature kids who drive like fools and get people killed. Well, and let's face it. I mean, the amount of ambulance accidents where somebody's injured or killed every year is minuscule compared to the amount of money I could make as a as a very rich ambulance owner, and and compared to what I owe. You know, I mean, the the risk benefit is low. Plus, I have insurance, and they'll pay for it, right? Or am I being too sarcastic? Not too sarcastic. I've worked for companies that are just like that. Well, but I, but I will tell you that the behavior is the same in agencies where nobody makes any profit and where people work for free. Oh, good yep. point. You know, I, you know, I I see um, equally poor behavior in governmental agencies. Hospital-operated agencies, private for-profit agencies, and volunteer work-for-free agencies. Because the standard is a pulse and a patch. How, uh, every, 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 police, every police department in this country, well, mostly every police department in this country, sends every candidate for employment to a psychologist to find out if they're mentally fit for the job that they hire. How many EMS agencies do that? Uh-huh. We get their rejects. <laughs> and or we get the guys that and, are trying and, to get and, in. And we welcome them with open arms. True. And we look up to them. Scott, you're... Because they once put in an application with the police department, which makes them so much better than the rest of us. <laughs> Not. Uh, anyway, I have so many comments I could say right now. Anyway, Scott, tell me from a supervisor level, um, is any of this ringing home to you, or are you just like, gee, these guys are way off base? No, Chris, of, of course it is. And I think the point that we're at, and I, I think everybody here and everybody who's listening will agree, is we've identified the problem. What the heck are we doing about it other than just constantly complaining about it? We're at a real crossroads right now and, and, you know, you and Skip can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that effective at least early of 2012, um, EMD is becoming the standard and it's time for us, if that's going to be the case, that we either need to hang our hats on it or we need to move on. We are in this mindset that we simply respond just in case. We respond lights and sirens to everything just in case. And I said this on the email list. You know, we, we do it just in case somebody's having a heart attack or just in case that abdominal pain is something more than we think it is. Well, you know, the police department doesn't send five cars to the barking dog call just in case there's somebody there with a gun. But EMS will send, you know, everybody lights and sirens to somebody having leg pain because one time somebody threw a PE and we need to get out of that completely reactive mindset that we're in and we need to find a better way to do this because the fact is is we don't need to respond lights and sirens all the time where where, where do, i mean do, do people actually do that i mean scott you're saying that like like um uh that's an it's an accepted state of affairs or like it's reality and and i just don't see that what it, I mean, it's most 
most oh, agencies I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that, that, that uh, most agencies that I know of, um, the quantity of resources and the response mode are both dictated by the EMD call determinant. Yes, is yes, that, and no. Is, because is that I, not true in most of the world? I, I think I think that it's a, it's a real push and pull, actually, Skip. Because there's a lot of pressure out there with with agencies that are trying to take over EMS or, or trying to run somebody else out of town who say that we can do it better because they feel that they can do it faster, which yep. puts undue pressure on services in general, whether you're at a manager level or you're at a field level. And I think that that's where the drive is right now. And, and I, I can tell you that it's not true that, that you know, in, in the places where, where I've experienced EMS, it, it's not true that it's completely determined by EMD. A lot of it is, is still either A, discretionary, or B, hey, you're going to go lights and sirens to everything. You know, I, I mean, that. Well, in, not- in, yeah, exactly. In my in my experiences, I mean, I work in yeah. a system where we have fire first response. Guess what? Every time that fire engine pulls off of a of a uh, um, an apron, whether it's for a, whether they're actually going for a stub toe or they're going for a cardiac arrest, oh. they have the same response mode. Well, it worked with us. It worked with us countywide when I worked in Ohio. Is that they would give you the the EMD code over the air, but no one ever paid attention to it. Now, when I, when I moved to Memphis, that was a big change. I mean, you know, Alpha and, and certain Bravo-level calls are, are a non-emergent response, which is totally different from, you know, where, where I had come from previously, where every call was an emergency response. So it doesn't happen everywhere. Yeah, that, I mean, that, 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 that's my world. You know, an yeah. Alpha call gets one ambulance cold. A Bravo call uh, gets an ambulance uh, and... Some of them may get a fire truck or may not, um, and hot responses are reserved for for uh, Charlie Delta and Echo calls. Yeah, but Skip, that that's the difference though. Is is that's how it's done where you are? Because frankly, you're doing it right, and not every service out there can say that they are either a doing it right or b empowered to do it right by those who dictate their response times. Well, and I'll give you a perfect example, Skip. We use priority medical dispatch in our county. However, mm-hmm. our dispatchers, um, the the county refuses to take on the liability to say, well, we're not going to tell you how to respond. Um, okay. We're not even going to okay, give you – well, no, no, but they're not even going to give us the, the priority medical dispatch code because they think that – Somehow, magically, through the what the dispatcher says, we should be able to determine that ourselves. So, I mean, if we knew that it was a uh, two alpha, it'd be like, oh, that's a no-brainer. I mean, so, they've already so gone what, through the you, training. So why don't you get like a famous EMS lawyer to come out there and tell them that the liability is not from telling you the response mode. The liability is from not telling you. I love that. I love that. Maybe I need to you know, pay you a small I mean, consulting Doug, fee. Doug Wolfberg and Steve Worth would be happy to make that presentation on. Excellent. Excellent. In the Philadelphia area, they don't have Alpha, Bravo, Delta, any of that stuff. It's uh, assist the public, lights and sirens, cardiac arrest, lights and sirens. Within each company, you know, if people don't go lights and sirens, it's determined by the culture. Uh, we've had people written up at places for not responding with the lights and sirens, no matter 
what the call was. You know, middle of the night, uh, there's nobody on the road, and get written up for not having the lights and sirens on. But there was no traffic, and the lights and so sirens hap- don't allow me to after, speed up. What happens if what happens after you get after you get written up? Do they revoke your birthday? Um, it depends. They tell you you're not allowed employer. to drink for the next two years. <laughs> depends I mean, on the employer. I, 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 I mean, now you know. I I am uh, uh, you know interesting here in a, a right to work state, but I am a firm believer in in empowered employees, and um, you know, an awful lot of this seems to seems to have to do with um, uh, I don't know. I want to say low testosterone, but it's a it's lack of character. And what's the chief going to do? If they've got a roster of 40 employees and all 40 of them refuse to run hot to something that uh, doesn't merit a hot response, fire them all. We got too many people who want to run hot. Well, that's it. And, and yeah, what's, what's making me crazy is we who are ostensibly leaders in EMS in so many cases are refusing to do the right things. So, guess what's going to happen? All of a sudden, we're going to lose the autonomy to run our organizations and our business. And in some cases, it will be the physicians. I mean, you know, I know if Brian could be the, the master of the, the red light switch, he'd remove them from all the ambulances. It may be the physicians. It may be the elected officials. It may be the state EMS offices. It may be the state police. But we're going to once again face a situation where we can't behave like adults, so the adults are going to externally impose their will upon us to the detriment of our patients. Because now we have a tool that might be useful sometimes that instead of being a discretionary tool associated with a certain amount of risk, just like a laryngoscope, it'll just be blanketly taken away. Because and 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 you know we've we've kind of strayed from driving and whatever, but um, you know all of this is about lack of effective leadership of good moral and ethical character. Well, and how much longer are we? Why... How much longer are we going to let the bozo leaders I keep hearing described continue to run this business? But it's but it's not the it's not the EMS leaders that I think really truly are the problem. I, I think it goes higher than that. It, it it's it's not just as Chris says. It's, it's not just education for our people. Yeah, it's education of the public. And let me let me read can, if if I could let me let me read you something real quick because I actually I. I you know, a little a little blog out there called medicsbk.com. Um, I wrote something on response time. Shameless today. plug. Yeah, shameless plug, shameless plug. And plug uh, too away. old to work, too young to retire, a guy who most of us know well and have read, said mm-hmm. EMS response times are not a medical or even an operational issue. They are a political issue driven by the media and there are ever-increasing lackeys, the politicians. It's stupid, but people have come to expect license sirens responses um, for what amounts to no more than a cab ride to the ED where they can sit in the waiting room along with a guy that drove himself or took the cab. And he basically goes on to say that, that we've kind of empowered people over the last 30 years to choose what their emergency is. And I really think that that, that really truly is where we have failed. 
we let the callers determine what they get. We okay, let so them pick the here it comes. People. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it right now. Occupy the ambulance. Here it comes right now. Here's, here's where it changes. We're the 99 percenters. I don't know. I'm just. I got nothing. Well, Chris, uh, we're the 99 mile an hour. But we're the. But we're. I. I. I hate to. I hate to sound snobbish, but I think that we are a bit more sophisticated than some of our other colleagues sometimes because we come onto the show and we have an opinion about it. Um, other people make this the 1%? Eh, probably. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we're 5%, 5 or 10% or whatever. I don't know. Uh, the problem is that most of the people out there are raised with the idea that you drive fast, you attract a lot of attention, you get there, you make yourself the center of attention, you command control, and... That's the way it's done. While, you know, we're the people who will show up, try to calm everybody down and empower the patient, you know, let the patient tell us what's going on, find out from them rather than telling them, oh, dispatch told us you have chest pain. This is what we're going to do to you. Yeah, that's not patient care. That's not medicine. But that's the way people do things. We have to get there fast. If the caller says, please don't use lights and sirens in my neighborhood, we have people who say, I am going to make sure I pull up to their driveway with the lights and sirens going. How dare they tell me not to use the lights and sirens? So I, 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 I got to ask you, Tim, you've been, I mean, you, you've, you've been pretty negative about this. So if, if it's that bad, and there's nothing we can do about it. Why do you continue to work there? Uh, the company I work for is different. I work for people I trust, and I took a cut in pay to go there because I got so fed up with the way things are done. Um, I'm happy with where I am. Uh, but I see a lot of this still going on. And what I was saying at the start, the reason the state medical director is putting this stuff into the protocols is because there is not a lot of mature leadership in EMS. It keeps going back to that, doesn't it? Ain't that a sad state of affairs? So what's it going to take? Know, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, again, I, I, know I hate... Uh, to sound like a, you know, I've got a panacea, but you know, every one of our vehicles has two sources um, of data come off it. The first is the road safety boxes that not only record for me what the vehicle does, but provide real time feedback to the drivers when they exceed speed or braking or G force parameters, but. The automatic vehicle location records speed, vector, time, location every 15 seconds, every time the vehicle's moving. And every two weeks, we pull a report on what those vehicles are doing, and people get action taken if they're you know, if their driving performance isn't satisfactory. What what kind of action do you? Is it like a written warning? Is it a for docking your pay? How, what is it sliding scale? So based it's, on it's severity, pro, it's progressive discipline. So you know the first time you know uh, the first time you're a little bit over, you probably get a verbal warning, and the 
second time you work your way up the scale. But I'll tell you what, you know, we give people vehicles that'll do 143 miles an hour uh, and send them out on the road. And if if somebody drives one of them 140, 143 miles an hour, they're going to be working here tomorrow. But then why give them a vehicle that can go 143? Because it's just, it's begging for power, Skip. Come on. Come on. Yeah. I know, but, I'm but if you're, but if you're, if you're in the leadership position, you gotta, it's about, it's about managing people. They gotta know what's okay and what's not, and they gotta make decisions to do the right thing. And, you know, you tell them all up front, you know, driving at excessive speeds and recklessly and stuff is not okay. And if you do it, you can't work here. But not, not everybody's doing it that way, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think we have a lot of people who use the black boxes, and I don't know of anybody who would request the uh, GPS for the vehicles to see how fast they were going because management doesn't want to know. You think? That's not true. No, that's not true at all. Because <laughs> I can tell you that the largest ambulance company in the United States has the black boxes in many locations. And I can tell you from multiple standpoints, both both as a supervisor and as a former former union steward, that I have seen those things save more jobs than I have take jobs. Now I'm mm-hmm. talking about where I am. Okay. And it's just not part of the culture in the southeast corner of Pennsylvania. So are you – is it more rural where you're at, Tim? I mean I, maybe that's the standard. Have maybe we're talking about – Okay, well, maybe not. I was going to I was going to say I spent 10, <laughs> 10 years hold on, hold on, hold on. and there is no rural Philadelphia, I'm here to tell you. Well, well, yeah. well Chris, I'm outside of Philadelphia, but I'm in Pennsylvania, sorry, it's but yeah. Suburban. Gotcha. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead, Scott. Philadelphia is a suburb of the Jersey Shore. That's that's the <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay, I'm not yes, a backwoods guy. We have management by Snooky or whatever her name is. <laughs> the Walking Dorito. <laughs> so what I guess I'm hearing us all say now that we're coming close scarily to the end of our podcast um, is that we need to take action upon ourselves a for, first off you have to think about going home at night I mean you know uh, whether you are in an accident and you cause harm to somebody else and you get arrested because you were doing a billion miles an hour and hit somebody and killed them or you kill yourself or you kill your partner or you kill the patient or any of those things, you don't get to go home at night. And by and large, I like to go home at night and I like to sleep in my own bed. Invincible. Well, true. We do have a bit of that, but I think at the, at the same time to start building in the culture of safety, you got to start with it's, kind of about self-preservation. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest number one thing that we do, um, as humans is we self-preserve. And if we start teaching that as one of the instincts, if you, if you want to read a good book, read The Gift of Fear. And that is a great book. And it talks about the pieces that go into that and why we have these natural reactions, um, uh, that when your fear radar is going off, you probably should stop doing what it, whatever it is. Going into a house, um, it's that gut reaction that we all have that goes, huh, that just doesn't sit right with me. So sometimes that's 
that's the right response. Going, I can tell you, I've been uh, scarily close to 80 miles an hour in an ambulance. And it's scary because that thing is not safe. It's, it's losing contact with the tires on the ground. It's, um, it's just not a safe place to be. Um, and As then I let alone trying to stop it. People I work with who maintains these trucks so well that you're willing to put your life in their hands. These are not designed to go this fast. You know they break down on a regular basis, even if they're maintained in excellent shape. What's going to break next? Right. And these are pretty okay. new trucks. Think, I mean, just think about, you know, I had a, a while back a young man who came to my attention because his ambulance was recorded traveling 86 miles an hour on the freeway. Now, I have a slide in my PowerPoint show of an ambulance that went over on its side and totaled itself at someplace around 55 miles an hour. And the vehicle looks like, I don't know, it just came out of a trash compactor. Um, so what makes you think that if you all of a sudden hit a piece of road debris and flat your right front tire and you go off the interstate at 86 miles an hour, that there's going to be anything left of you to pick up with something besides a squeegee. Good point. Uh-huh. But, I, but I think, Chris, your, your, your point um, about uh, uh, the thought you were articulating just a moment ago, presume a certain amount of intellect and maturity and thoughtfulness. And I think what I'm hearing is that there are places in the country where the entire EMS community is lacking in people of maturity and wisdom and thoughtfulness and literacy sufficient to read the gift of fear. Not um, entire, but large and, pockets of it. And if and if that's true, uh, we are in deep trouble, and I would submit that we have an obligation to do whatever we can to clean that up or run them people out of the business. That is part of why I got into blogging. And well, and it, but that. it's going to take it. We're talking cultural slash generational change, anywhere between seven and twenty years, to make those kind of things happen. I mean, when when I go back to you know some of my original hometowns um, and still see the same people running the ambulance that were there thirty years ago, eh, I mean, you know. It's not, it's not because they're not, I mean, they're good people. They just, nobody else wants to do it. So. Well, you know, we are the 1%. We're the bloggers and the podcasters and the videographers that are trying to get a positive message about EMS out there and to try to look at some of these issues. But, you know, how much can, how much change can we really exert was what it comes down to, unfortunately. Well, well, it, well, it, well, well I, you know, I will tell you, um, you know, if you if you look at my resume, you see I have worked in more than one location. <laughs> and some of those job changes, quite frankly, had to do with telling people things they don't want to hear. So if, you know, if we're if many people in EMS are so risk adverse that they won't allow anything to go on around them because they don't want to put themselves at risk by speaking up, we're screwed. 
Yeah. We I have pretty much so immunized myself from any position in management anywhere because I speak up all the time. doesn't go over that well. There are plenty of places that won't even consider hiring me. Maybe well, that's because you're opinionated, Tim. It's not about patient care, <laughs> not about driving. It's because I will say what's on my mind and... You know, not about complaints from patients or anything like that. Just, I don't play the game the way they think it should be played, which is drive fast, make a lot of noise, get there, yell at everybody, I'm in command, and then fly the patient to the hospital, whether that's flying in an ambulance or flying in a helicopter. So they just assume they're right and you're wrong. Yeah, I had an ex that did that, too. <laughs> well, Tim, uh, on that note, uh, I, I think we've, uh, we've made yes, this topic. Yes, I am charm. I know. You're so charming. Uh, you are my Sasquatch of EMS. So, um, Tim, um, often heard, rarely seen. And there are signs of you many times in nature. Uh, Tim, tell us where people can find you and read your musings. Hey, I, I carry the poop bags with me. I clean up after myself there. Okay, perfect. But where can people find your musings? Uh, roguemedic.com, which is at emsblogs.com, also paramedicine101.com. And uh, we're kind of on hiatus on researchems.com uh, and... Uh, possibly to be doing something on Standing Orders podcast. I'm not sure you can be on hiatus after five episodes. I'm just saying. Ten. <laughs> oh, ten. Sorry, ten. I'm just we got kidding. double digits. We okay. We got right. the double digits, and then we said, okay, yeah. time for a siesta. That was good. That was good enough. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for coming Don't on. Don't want to overdo it. <laughs> right on. Uh, Miss Sam Bradley, where can people find you? Uh, Sam Bradley 11 on Twitter, Sam Bradley on Facebook. Um, I'm working on my blog. It's called Disaster Sam, which was morphing into a web series. Uh, more to come on that. That's a uh, disaster. disaster. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I didn't pick that name, by the way. Um, it makes me sound like I got some real issues, but it, it's, it's dealing with the subject of disaster medicine and personal stories. It's uh, disastersam.responsnetwork.tv. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Mr. Russell Stein, the quiet man tonight, where can people find you? Uh, hybridmedic.com. It's the eggnog. More Dilaudid. You need more Dilaudid. It made you mouthier. Ketamine. Ketamine. There you go. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> a little bit do, too, yeah. do, do a little, do bit a too little frontal lobe dissociation <laughs> stuff there. Huh? <laughs> wow. Uh, Mr. Skip Kirkwood, where can people find you? Oh, they can, um, the Irish pub in Raleigh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> usually, um, now, oh, I'm here on Facebook and, um, on EMS garage and on the nemsma.org list server and, um, uh, pretty much where I go, where I'm invited. Cool. So thanks for the, inv thanks for the invite. You're welcome. I'm glad to have you on and, uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Mr. Scott Keir, where can people find you? Oh, I thank you, Chris. Um, pretty simple. Uh, Twitter at 
MedicSBK um, on the internet, medicsbk.com, which is going through the final stages of some server moves and will be back up in a day or two. And I just want to put a quick plug out there for the EMS-1 Street Survival class that I was able to take last week, put on by Caliber Press. <clears throat> um, it was designed and uh, taught by Mr. Uh, Mike Tagman, and it is really a terrific course that's okay. going to be seen a lot through 2012. And I highly rec- recommend if you hear it's coming to your town to go and check it out. Very cool. Well, I hope to have this episode out before Christmas. So happy Hanukkah, happy Merry Christmas, happy Festivus, happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. Or if you don't, it's fine too. Um, I am Christmas. I recommend, I recommend celebrate, celebrating all of them, Chris. Well, I kind of agree. Because then you can, one for each day of the week. You forgot Festivus. Come on. Non-discriminatory and positive direction. Oh, a positive erection. Uh, oh God. Hey, Skip, I'll be down in your neck of the woods in about a month and a half. So just so you know, uh, so we'll I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you Hello, before Martin. I come down. Oh, please do. Right on. Glad to see you. It'll be fun. Um, anyway, I'm Chris Montero, the geeky medic. Find me on all the websites, as I said at the top of the show. And as always, come back to us next week when we talk more about issues that concern you in EMS. Have a great Night, weekend, holiday, whatever you're doing, and celebrate responsibly. 